for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagge. One of the cool things about doing this podcast is I've learned about names that I didn't necessarily know before I started this project. And in talking to alumni from the first half of the 90s, a name that kept coming up as, oh my God, you have to talk to this guy. He's done amazing things at the station since. That is Scott Taylor, a.k.a. Scotty T, class of 93. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Great to be here. I've been listening to these and you've been doing a great job this far. So uh, I'm happy to contribute. I appreciate that very much. Let's start from the beginning, Scott. How did you get to Syracuse and then find the radio station? I like Matt Friedman, whom I think you've already interviewed. I'm an alum of WBFH Bloomfield Hills, which sent a, a few of us to Syracuse. And at the time, I got to know Scott Meach and Guy Cacciarelli were really the two older guys that, you know, I got to know. And then I went to school as well. You know, because you're in Detroit, Dick Purton, legendary personality. Our two high schools shared the, the radio station for the district. I knew Jessica and Joanne pretty well. So I got to meet Dick Purton at the time and Dick had gone to Syracuse. So that was the icing on the cake. I wanted to be a sportscaster like many of your guests I've heard. Have. Uh, hang on a second. I've got a tote board in here. Yeah. One more tick on the board. Okay. Continue. Exactly. And for everybody listening to this podcast, you can hear my voice and probably, you know, figure that was the best move not to be a sportscaster. But that, <laughs> those are the things that was the radio station, new house that brought me into the snow. Otherwise, I was heading west. <laughs> you know, when I first moved to Michigan, they were like, oh, you're ready for that Michigan winter. I'm like, I spent the first 17 years of my life in Boston, four in Syracuse and seven in Vermont. I'm not afraid of your Michigan winter. Because I graduated, like like I said, from Michigan, then they probably taught you the adage, hey, if you don't like the weather, stick around. It'll change in 30 minutes. Yep. Same thing as New England and Syracuse yeah. and so on and so forth. So you already knew about JPZ before you got on campus, right? Yes. I mean, from Scott Meach and Guy and, you know, then, you know, through them, Larry Barron got to know Larry really well. You know, no, I was very lucky. I mean, I was focused enough. I'll use that word that, you know, when you make your little cheat sheets of where you're going to go to school, what's important and all that stuff. I mean, I literally researched the radio stations at every college I applied to. That's awesome. You know, nothing was comparable. So world's greatest media classroom. What did you do when you set foot in the doors? Well, Scott Meach let me in the door before recruitment, if memory serves. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to claim I was the first, but I, you know, I got a shift pretty early. I did the two to four AMs and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And then because I had done some research at the time of WHYT 96.3 in Detroit, my second semester senior year, I literally went to high school till 1230. Then I worked in the research department at HYT from two to six. And That's awesome. Research at that point meant getting on the phone, blind calling people and, you know, what stations did you listen to and blah, blah, blah. And if they responded you know, with enthusiasm or didn't hang up on you, which many did. Then you got the subsequent calls of, hey, you know, we played music snippets. Hey, do you like this song? Mm -hmm. Not like this song, whatever. So the bottom line is I had some research experience. So I think I became research director by second semester freshman year. Okay. Probably a job on the executive staff that was not popular. Nobody wanted it. I was quickly involved that way. And what else did you do from there? Because you did a lot at the radio station. Yeah, I mean, I, I ultimately got better you know, quote unquote, better audio shifts on air and such. 
I'm trying to think about this. I think I did development director, mm -hmm. you know, might've been my sophomore, junior. I'm trying to, it all blends together. But sure. ultimately I was VP of business or whatnot when Dave Gorep was general manager. Okay. We had a blast, like a few of you've talked to, we all stayed there this summer of, I guess it was the summer of 92 before our senior year and gave away cars and, you know, all that stuff. So I was in a fraternity there too, but JPZ was as much or a bigger time commitment than anything social. You know, I mean, that was what I wanted to do. So I think that's been a through line in the 50 years that we've been covering in this podcast. Yeah. What are some of the significant events that happened at the radio station while you're there? You mentioned the car giveaways at the state fair. Any other things come to mind for you, Scott? I think we renewed the license while we were there at that point. I mean, that was, okay. you know, I mean, that was important, obviously, for the future of the radio station. We went through the logo change. I think Mark Verone brought that up, and if I remember his podcast, but we were involved in doing that. Matter of fact, we stole it from and got permission, I believe, from B96 in Chicago. I mean, frankly, you're in Detroit. I think the original one Meech did was from the old Z95 or Q95 in Detroit. That was the red and black. Before it was Channel 955, where it would end up working in 2011. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. So that was a fun project. We did that. And then I was there. I think I might have been a junior or sophomore. Again, the years blend. But Henry Ferry and Kelly Sutton all of a sudden implemented commission for sales. Oh. So that was a big deal. Like all of a sudden, you know, you would get paid for going out and doing something that you would have been willing to do for free, meaning, you know, get revenue, sales, sponsorship, you know, all that stuff. And I'm sitting there going, okay, wait a minute. I love this. The on-air stuff was fun, but I was never going to make, you know, enough money. I'm not that creative and, you know, all that stuff. But I can sit around here and get paid for selling spots. And they weren't, you know, commercials per se, but, you know, the development spots. And I'm like, all right, I'm in on this, you know, so then I started making money. You know, like that, it just became a focus <laughs> of that. So major market coin. But that was a serious transformation. I mean, you know, we were financially independent, which I think we all credit Meech for doing and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But we had to sustain it. We had big bills and all that kind of stuff. And so we really had a dedicated sales staff, you know. So I'd like to think that was a big deal. Then Dave and I, Gorab, you know, ultimately had a relationship. We got a foreign relationship with somebody from Merrill Lynch. We actually put away money, you know, all ah. that kind of stuff. So. I think we were pretty good contributors to the financial bottom line. And and again, I credit Henry Ferry, Kenny Scott, Kelly Sutton. You know, I mean, some of those guys were really good at that, you know, and paved the way and taught us a lot. It's funny when you look at the different bookends of the time where the station was financially independent of the university, you're thinking about the alums from the 70s and early 80s who were getting by on duct tape and bubble gum. I know in the late 90s and early 2000s when we were there and we were stealing printer paper from the Kimmel Computer Cluster to print our selector logs, you're talking about putting money in a Merrill Lynch account. You just blew everybody's mind. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, we were lucky. It was from that standpoint, it was a good time and, and all that stuff. And to be candid with you, you know, then all of it kind of went away and that was disappointing, but you know, it's a learning process, right? Absolutely. So you talked about you're really moving over to the development side of things from the on-air side of things and finding a real passion for that aside from, you know, giving a college kid money to walk around with on top yeah. of it. It's the original NIL money. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now you brought it full circle. Tell me how that informed you as far as getting into your career after Syracuse. It sounds like that was a real pivotal moment for you and what you've done since. It was. I mean, and to be honest, I mean, again, I, I keep saying the names. It was Ken, Henry, and Kelly, and they all went to Rich Broadcasting at the time. It was WGRF and WEDG. I, I don't know if the call letters match the time, but that's ultimately. And they went over there and sold spots. I mean, so it was almost like Syracuse West. What market was this? Buffalo. 
Okay. So my senior year, you know, we had, and again, I've heard this on the podcast too, we had radio and records, right? So there was only yep. like the classified ads, like needing sellers. So I literally sent probably 25 to 30 letters to the top CHR stations. I was willing to move to New Orleans, Raleigh. You know, I don't care. I just wanted to be an AE, you know, at a top mm-hmm. station. And those guys worked at these rock stations in Buffalo. And I went out there met the GSM, a guy named Bill Sauer, who's turned out to do very well. And was fortunate, I got offered a job, you know, and I was like, going to make X and be with people I knew. And you know what I mean? It was like, I'm done. This is like February or March. I'm done. I'm set. I can enjoy the last few months kind of carefree at Syracuse. And then they had the new house school had this central New York consortium or whatever, and they would bring mm-hmm. in broadcasters and it was Syracuse hosted it, but they would have, you know, Cornell, Ithaca College, Colgate, you know, all the, you know, yeah. and interviews. And Lynn Vanderhoek quite might still be there. I'm not sure. Yep, she is. Yep. She called me and said, hey, there's this company called Cats Radio, Cats Media that's coming and they want to interview, you know, and I think this would be a good fit. I'm like, I've already got a job. Like, you know, when is the interview? Friday, but Friday I work at the bar, you know, like what? <laughs> no, thank you. Hey, what were you doing at the bar? Let me ask. Let me stop you there. I was a DJ, believe it or not. I did the Friday night. Which bar? At the Olive in the Orange, the O and O, which I think is now the Orange Crate. My fraternity brother actually owns it, but it's the Orange Crate. I think brewing company. I think is what it's called. Yeah, right across from Fagan's. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I'm like, no, thank you, and you know, almost like, will you please come? You know, whatever. And I met this guy, Glenn Cornelius. God rest his soul, because he ultimately passed. But I was just blown away by knowledge, passion for the business, you know, all that stuff. And, you know, learning about what a rep firm was and and all that sort of stuff. And so there was like 10 of us that got invited to, um, you know, come back to New York City and interview. And ultimately there were four of us from Syracuse that got jobs and started the training program together. So it was Dave Gorab, a guy named Andrew Field, both in my wedding, and Brian Benedict, who is now, you probably heard that name. He's the chief revenue officer at Odyssey. And I've been with Cats coming up on 30 years in June. So what do you start out doing when you get hired by Cats? I was fortunate because of my experience at JPZ, I was able to start as an AE. Most of the time you you start as a sales assistant, you move up, et cetera. So there was a little, I think for Brian, I you know, I don't want to speak for Brian and Dave and Andrew, sales assistants were older than us. And we all, because of JPZ, started right in. So I think there was a little... I don't know. There's a little awkwardness there, you know, having an assistant that's older than you when you're like 22. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I started as an AE in New York and I subsequently was moved to Chicago because they needed somebody. I I was great to have mentors in both places. My original New York manager is now the CEO of Cats Media. Mark Gray is his name, who I've been close with for 30 years. And then I went to Chicago. I ended up coming back to New York after I got married, met my wife in the business decided I did not want to be on the East Coast. So they moved me back to Chicago. I went up and managed our Minneapolis office. And then I've been back in Chicago since 2000. I got like a regional VP gig. And then I have since moved over. I'm all digital as of the last 15 months. I kind of straddled both radio and digital audio sales. And now I'm strictly digital. That came up a lot, as you mentioned earlier in the episode we did with Mark Verone from the class of 95. Talk to me a little bit about the change and from your perspective of, you know, traditional radio versus selling digital and, and where the world is going. You know, look, first of all, I will tell anybody anytime I'm a radio geek. Sure. I mean, I'm the one that knows the call letters, all that stuff. We had to learn all that 
if you don't know, Cats Media is a national rep firm. So we represent multiple properties across, you know, all the markets in the United States. Mm-hmm. An advertiser like Walgreens wanted to spend money in radio in the top 20 markets, as opposed to calling every radio station, you know, to get quote for rates, all that stuff. You'd come to the rep firm. We'd say we represent Beasley in Philly. We represent Emmis in Indianapolis and so forth and so forth. So the net net is you had to learn all that stuff. So I have a fond appreciation being a radio geek and a former on-air guy, you know, all the personalities and all that sort of stuff for that. And I've heard this reference in your podcast before too. I mean, the consolidation of ownership beginning in the, you know, Telecom Act of 96 and all that stuff. I mean, when we had to learn how many owners there were in LA, it was like 31. (laughs) Now there's like four or five of significance, Right. you know what I mean? So, I mean, I think it's kind of sad what's happened, but I will say digital audio has never been hotter. Right. A lot of these broadcast companies are not seeing themselves or even positioning themselves as radio companies anymore. I think iHeart has done a great job. I mean, the iHeart app has transformed everything from being clear channel radio to iHeart. For sure. And look, Town Square is doing the same thing. They consider themselves a digital company that owns radio stations. You know, I mean, I think that's the transformation. So I think that's very exciting. I mean, I have three kids, 24, 21, and 17. I mean, all in the podcasts and all, you know what I mean? It's it's kind of proliferating in a different way, which is exciting, you know, being the 52-year-old guy still in the business to kind of, you know, you get re-energized, you know. And similar to the other companies you mentioned, just a few weeks prior to us recording this, Odyssey put the domain radio.com up for sale. They, we're no longer interested in being radio.com because they see themselves as a wider digital audio company. Correct. Correct. And that, you know, the content is no longer on the air, right? I mean, it's all the podcasts that you're having, all the personalities do. I've heard people talk about that. Your content is just not what's on the dial position anymore. And I think that's where it's expanded. I don't think radio is bad per se. I'm not, you know, again, I'm a lifer. I work for a company that that's a large part of our revenue is the linear business. I like to look at it. It's almost like radio plus. Yeah. You get the streaming and some of these guys have secondary HD two channels that are Technically, they're on the air, but, you know, some radios are hard to find. They're definitely, they're streaming. You could have multiple streaming channels. Like I said, I think it's a transformation. I think you got to look at that in a positive way. It is definitely a reorg from where's your revenue coming from? You know, there's been casualties of that. Yeah. You know, the number of employees at radio stations, all that kind of thing. But what's really cool, especially about the podcast business, in my opinion, is you're almost seeing like a wild, wild west. There is no, yeah, you know, I mean, look, you have Spotify with the Joe Rogans, all that stuff. But I mean, you're doing it now with all due respect. I could start a podcast tomorrow. I mean, the barrier mm-hmm. to entry is low. Now you have to get critical mass so you can monetize it and all that sort of stuff. But in that regard, it's kind of cool. No FCC restrictions. You know, I mean, I don't know. I think it's exciting. I think a lot of this is Darwinism. It's adapt or die. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And look, like every other company, you know, you're going to have people that couldn't and they move on to do other things or don't grow or whatever. It's WJPZ at 50. Hey, it's Jag. You're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person I'm interviewing. But one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. 
as you look back at 30 years, what are some of the lessons you learned in working at a radio station and with people at WJPZ that you feel have served you well over your career, Scott? I think the biggest thing, simply put, especially being a manager, is never ask anybody to do something you wouldn't do yourself. And frankly, the summer of 92 taught me that. I mean, when you had to be all things, you know, I mean, good God, there's maybe there was six of us that were there the whole time. We had Dan Austin. He was like in high school coming over and helping us, you know? Yeah. When you're spread thin like that and you're lucky enough to have a staff that volunteers, by the way, you know, for right. you, because, you know, they're not going to be, you can't sit there and go, do this, do that. You've got to be willing to get in the trenches. And that's how, in my opinion, you know, good managers operate. You know, I, I mentioned the name of my boss, Ed Katz. I always felt like he would get in there and get in the trenches with me if needed. I think that's the most important thing. And I think, you know, because these guys not only are your co-workers per se at the radio station, they're also your friends. A lot of people can go to work and go to home and have separate lives. And, you know, that's all great, even separate personalities. But here you're going to class with them. You're going to the bars with them. You might even live with them, be roommates or whatever. I'd like to think it taught you how to treat people well. And I think we, you know, I've heard a number of stories on your podcast. I think we all had our lessons. Yeah. None of us were perfect. But I think that was the biggest thing, I would say. You know, yes for what. It's funny you think about that crucible of the radio station, because to your point, you're hanging out together. You're all living either on campus or near campus. It's not like you're, you know, driving half an hour home to go hang out with your wife and kids. You're around these people. It feels like 24-7 in some cases. So you better be able to get along with them. Absolutely. Look, were we all best friends? Definitely not. But we did a lot of stuff, especially I go back to that summer because I think that was a pretty impactful, cool thing. We learned a ton. But, you know, somebody organized and they might have been Larry Ross. I can't remember. We had a softball team, you know, and we played. And, and frankly, we had some listeners that came out. That was a little scary because, you know, like, <laughs> but uh, it was fun. Like I said, it, I had probably had two sets of friends at school, my fraternity and the, and the radio station. And I probably keep up with more people from the radio station than I do the fraternity. Who are some of the people you still stay in touch with? Dave Gorab and I are very good friends. Brian Benedict, who I mentioned earlier. Matt Freeman, I've known for a long time. Shoot, I'm going to, you know, obviously Beth Russell, who became Beth Gorab. Gosh, I know I'm going to like forget people's name, but those are the ones I talk to quite a bit for sure. Let's see, Ben Vandenbelt was in my wedding. Dave Levine, who was the, he was in my wedding. You know, when I was the VP of business, he was the development director. I mean, I had very good friends like Joanne Borselli, who worked with me as well. I mean, we had a lot of good people. It sounds like uh, you and I have the common thread of having mostly JPZ folks standing up in our weddings, yeah. for sure. <laughs> I have not been good. I've heard a lot of people about the banquets and all that stuff. I went to the, you know, a few early in that adult life and, you know, one of my daughters born on March 1st. But early on, my wife went to one and, you know, we went through all the things, went to the, the student gathering with the, the panels and all that kind of stuff. And my wife's like, holy crap, like everybody's doing stuff here. I mean, and she's in the business, you know, it was you know, Larry Barron, God rest his soul. You know what I mean? Like all those guys, it was just so impressive to see the talent there and what became of it. I mean, that's what I'm most proud of. You know, you see like stuff, you know, like this is a badge of honor, man. And frankly, I think it made everybody better because everybody was so talented. I mean, there was competition. I mean, Dave Gorab, who was my wedding, one of my best friends to this day, just saw him in New York a couple of weeks ago. I mean, we both vied for the general manager job. And like, if you were a part of the senior staff, and forgive me if I don't remember what you did, but if you were part of being voted on, you had to go outside. Right. Dave and I went to breakfast on M Street at Cosmos for an hour and a half while they decided because, you know, they were trying to figure out. And ultimately he got the number one job, and I became VP of business, and that was decided like in five minutes. 
<laughs> so he tells that same story in his episode as well, where and remembers it just as falling that you guys could have been really at loggerheads go vying for the GM job, but it wasn't the case at all. Yeah. And we were very, I mean, we're like, okay, if you get this, I'll be VP of business. And if I get it, you'll be programming and we'll have so-and-so's running for, you know what I mean? Like it was all figured out. It's just a matter of making that selection, you know? So the only sad part about that story is that Cosmos is gone. I know. I know. I know. There's a lot of things that are gone, 44s and all that stuff. But Related to that, are there any funny stories that come to mind when you think back on your time at the station? I'll tell a funny story about my good friend Dave. So he was never on the sales team, Dave Gorup. And when he became jail manager, we're both there for the summer. Like, dude, you got to go get a list. You got to hit the streets. You got to drum up revenue. And he came back. He was so excited. Scotty, I got a deal at Fagans. I'm like, great. What is it? Thousand bucks. Awesome. It was all trade. Oh. So I still to this day give him grief. You know, like, dude, your first deal is 100% trade deal. How do we make money? I'm just, you know, dumb stories like that. Sounds like a great place to have an exec staff meeting. Yeah, you know, those would be part of the giveaways and all that stuff. And we, you know, we were local station needed that stuff. But yeah, but no, that summer of 92, I think we gave away a Mercury Capri convertible, you know, like one of the mm-hmm. 89 days of summer's thing. That was pretty cool. And then another side story is Beth Russell. We also not only gave away a car, we got use of a van, like a promo van for the summer. Mm -hmm. And one day she called me and she's like, Scotty, I got in an accident. We had to deal with all that stuff. And again, it was all fine. Thankfully not her, nothing, you know, but it was just enough to have, are you going to drive the car again? No, no, you're not allowed. I uh, at my very first paid gig and my very first full-time gig at 92.1 Kiss FM for Clear Channel in Burlington, Vermont. I cracked up the station car. It was a PT Cruiser. And if you're familiar with the PT Cruiser, the front of it is all plastic. It disintegrated. Yeah, yeah. I think the GM was already having a bad day. She was less than pleased when my program director had to give her the bad news. No. <laughs> Some of these stories are universal. Yeah, those are great. And, you know, obviously you can't do a pocket. I can't without acknowledging Rick Wright. I mean, he was fantastic. God love him. I still have, like, voicemails on my phone that I have kept for 10 to 15 years. He used to call me on my birthday all that stuff. And, you know, he gave us, Dave and me specifically, a lot of leeway, you know, in terms of whether or not we attend class or, you know, because I would come back in a suit and he'd be like, hey, hey, Scott, hey, you know, did you make some money for the radio station? And I'm like, yeah, I was out in, you know, wherever, Liverpool, trying to close this deal. Did you close the deal? Yeah, Rick, I got, you know, like, of course, everybody else, I think, hated us. But, you know, whatever, we were doing it. What I credit him was he knew that was part of the education, right? Like was going yeah. out and doing it. And that was more than respectfully he could teach. I mean, you could show us, but you can't, you can lead the horse to the water, but you can't make a drink, right? Like right. we all had to do that. So I thank him for that. I think I recruited for my company probably about 10, 15 years ago. I haven't been back and it's terrible. And I plan to change that. And I thought I was going to do it this year, but my youngest is now going to be a freshman in college. We have to go on a college tour that weekend to finalize that. So hopefully in 24, I'm back. If they'll have me. We look forward to having you. And I'm glad you mentioned Rick Wright, because as we've gone through this podcast, you know, I graduated in 2002. So he wasn't as key at that point in his career as he was in the 70s, 80s and 90s. And I'm really glad that we have an appreciation for everything that man has given to the radio station over its half a century history. So I'm really glad you brought a full circle for that. I, I could do a separate podcast on that. I really could. Like I said, he showed us the way, let us do it and helped us when we were, you know, had our failures. By the way. You know, I haven't listened to every podcast. I think that's another important thing. If you want to say, what did you learn from your time at JPZ? Is how we reacted to our failures. Because we did a lot. Yeah. 
we have talented people that did some incredible things, but we also messed up, you know, or we didn't get it right, but we had to learn. And there was no SU money to fall back on if we couldn't pay the license fees or rent, you know, whatever it was. So I think that's probably an under-recognized achievement by everybody that's been a part of this radio station is that, I don't know if people realize it, but I think we learned a lot from our failures. And I think that's a credit to you to phrase it that way. And in doing the podcast, we started out as it going to be like a 50 for 50, like ESPN's 30 for 30. But to your point about so many talented people having come through the halls of WJPZ, there was no way we were going to keep this to 50 because there's so many all-stars that yeah. we've had graduate and gone to amazing careers in all kinds of different businesses, present company included, of course. And we really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us today, Scott. No, it was fantastic. Like I said, glad to contribute to anybody listening. I miss you. And I do hope to be back in 2024. We'll see you then. Take care. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now.